You're listening to. Welcome to Books and Boba, a book club and podcast between books by Asian and Asian American authors. My name is Marvin Yue. And I'm Ri Rayu. And we are here to discuss our August 2019 book club pick, Severance by Ling Ma. As always, this is your spoiler warning.、Uh, we are going to spoil the hell out of this book. Yeah. But if you do not care, <laughs> you know, feel free to keep listening. Right. And if you do care, just push pause right here, read the book. It's a pretty breezy read. And、I'll、come back and listen to our thoughts. And as always, you can share your own thoughts about the book on our Goodreads forums. Just go to goodreads.com and search Books and Boba.、Uh, join our group. And if you can't introduce yourself,、um, we always love to learn more about the people that、um, read along with us. But、uh, we're going to start with the yeah, jacket description. Let's jump right in.、Uh, the jacket description, as always, is Candace Chen, a millennial drone self sequestered in a Manhattan office tower, is devoted to routine. With the recent passing of her Chinese immigrant parents, she's had her fill of uncertainty. She's content just to carry on. So Candace barely notices when a plague of biblical proportions sweeps New York. Then Shen fever spreads, families flee, companies seize operations. The subway screeched to a halt. Her bosses enlist her as part of a dwindling skeleton crew with a big end date payoff. Soon, entirely alone, still unfevered, she photographs the eerie abandoned city as the anonymous blogger New York Ghost. Candace won't be able to make it on her own forever, though. Enter a group of survivors led by the power-hungry IT tech Bob. They're traveling to a place called the facility, where Bob promises they will have everything they need to start society anew. But Candace is carrying a secret she knows Bob will exploit should she escape from her rescuers. And、uh, we'll just jump right in, Marvin. What did you expect, and how?、Uh, what What were your overall impressions? I mean, when you pitched this book to me, you said it was a millennial like zombie narrative. Yeah, yeah, story. kind of, yeah.、Um, and I didn't really know what to expect going in. Maybe something along the lines of like a comedic take, like Shaun of the Dead or、um, Zombie Land.、Um, but it turned out to be a <laughs> a zombie story tailored specifically to millennial angst and anxieties,、um, in addition to children of immigrant angst and anxieties, like all into one. And I was really surprised, but really like fascinated by it. Just、um, while I was reading the story, and、um, there were a lot of parts that I can relate to, and a lot of parts that like it really made me think about a lot of things. Critically, that I did not expect to be doing for the story. Yeah,、uh, same here. I didn't really know what to expect、um, from what I had gleaned from、um, from other people who have read it. It's it's like it's very dry humor. It's black comedy, and I was like, okay, maybe it's like Chemistry by Wiki Wang, which is also like told from a Chinese American、uh, <laughs> woman's point of view, who's kind of going through、uh, a rut. With her job and、uh, trying to like figure things out, and I was、mm. like, okay, like I really like that type of tone, so I'm pretty sure I'm gonna be really into <laughs> this because you know, post-apocalyptic plus like dry humor and plus like、uh, millennials, like 
freaking out over what they want to do with their lives and like capitalism anxiety like this is all like a perfect storm for me <laughs> so i i really really liked it i i felt like this book was like almost electric there was so much like sensory <laughs> going through me when i was reading it and i mentioned in the previous episode um but this really like pumped up my nostalgia for new york <laughs> <laughs> It's interesting because I thought um, Ling Ma did a really great job taking that framing of the zombie narrative and applying it to the current day, or at least our generation, where you can recognize that like the things that the undead are doing in this narrative are things that us as millennials are like the most afraid of. Yeah, it's right? like, what what's the difference between us and the fevered? We're yeah. doing the same things over and over again. There's a repetition to our day that makes us feel dead inside. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess, how do you want to tackle it? There's so much I want to talk about, but we should um, endeavor to have a structured conversation. Um, so I mean, I guess we can start talking about just how this book is set up, right? There's like, it's a dual narrative yeah, time shifted, yeah, I it, guess. It, yeah, there's definitely some time jumping. So mm -hmm. the the book opens up with Candace already in the group of survivors, mm -hmm. and then it jumps to um, her living in New York. She doesn't have a job yet, and right. uh, she's with her college friends. And you kind of know her background of being an orphan. Right. So one story takes place in 2011. Um, the year that the outbreak happens and society breaks down. And the other story takes place in 2006, which is when she her and her moved friends, to New York. Yeah, they just graduated college. They, they're, it's interesting because that's when I graduated college too. So I was like, okay, oh. these are people my age. <laughs> um, and I think something that's interesting about the way the book was written is it's all like, it's all in past tense, right? Because the first sentence of the story is there were nine of us and that would go down, right? So, um, and like we mentioned, like the the book itself, um, I read it on Kindle, so I didn't have the ex experience, but the book itself, the physical book itself is packaged as like a journal, right? Or yeah, like it's, a, like this, it's like this uh, strawberry milk colored uh, cover yeah. with like a little tear in like the, in the top part of the book. Where it's it it looks like it looks like newspaper, but I haven't like seen it up close. <laughs> it, but it looks like writing, so yeah. it's like this perfectly packaged millennial <laughs> <laughs> millennial book cover with like something more, I guess, like more depth inside. More, yeah. yeah. But we talked about uh, consuming. This book is about consumerism. There is like so much. Uh, name like brand dropping in this book, and so much of it is associated with status. Yeah, and it kind of reminded me of Crazy Rich Asians, but <laughs> it was done well. I mean, there's that, but there's also like you know a lot of foodie terms, a lot of a lot of just like when you think about millennial New Yorkers, right? A lot of these, I guess so. These things come up. Um, I mean, as someone who did spend their early twenties in New York. Um, tell me about your experience reading. Oh, this. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's funny because you you said that uh, you graduated from college in 2006. Mm -hmm. uh, I left New York City in 2011, which mm. is the year that Candace leaves New York <laughs> City. <laughs> um, so I thought that was like, I, I don't know, like when I was reading this book, I felt like it was just 
written for me. <laughs> like so many, so many of my anxieties uh, right now as as someone who really doesn't know what to do with her life and and kind of like is drifting aimlessly while uh, trying to figure out like job situations and stuff. I definitely like related with Candace. Um, I related with Jonathan, her boyfriend, quite a bit. It was it was a little bit depressing. It was like looking into a mirror and kind of be like, ah. Well, I mean, if you look at Jonathan and Candace, um, those are two, like, I know two of those people. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, that's like, you know, that's like our generation. Yeah. You either like, you're either you're you're either a Candace or you're a Jonathan. You're either <laughs> you're either an office drone and you're just doing it for money, but you have lost all meaning in your life. Yeah. Or you're you're like Jonathan. You have like you think you have meaning, but you refuse to be a cog in the system. But you suffer. Um, but also, I I've heard like so. There's that that chapter where they've already separated, but they go um, to get I think was it Puerto Rican food or something. They, they uh, went to go, food. yeah, get food. during a hurricane, which is such an East Coast thing to do. Like, you, oh my god, do you remember hurricane parties? Oh my god, like, yeah. no, no. Every, <laughs> every year in in college, there was a hurricane party. Yeah. There was that one big hurricane that like um, hit New York City, and like almost like what, like ninety percent of the city was gone because yeah. it was it was predicted to be like a really really big storm. And uh, I actually got into. Uh, I got into a fight with with Dan. This was like Dan and I were only dating for like a couple months, and um, at, at the time of the storm, I was supposed to stay with him in in like uh, ABCville um, because we were we were supposed to cat sit. But mm-hmm. then I was like, I don't know, this is gonna be a really big storm, and uh, like I don't really want to be in the city when this happens. <laughs> And uh, I didn't really want to stay in my apartment either because our apartment was right by the Hudson River. So if the storm came, like, our apartment would be hit. uh, Our neighborhood would be hit pretty hard. And I looked at the flooding zones and I was just like, no, this this is not happening. We're, (laughs) we're, like, I'm I'm going to Jersey. I'm going to Princeton with my roommate and uh, you can come along. And we kind of got got into a fight like that. But (laughs) it, it just seems like storms really bring in, like, like your priorities in check you know i don't know i mean as a young person there's that sense of like any reason for a party right and you kind of get that with like um in the story like let's have a party since we your mom left us a shark fin right yeah um i feel like like i went to a lot of parties like that yeah Yeah, i think i think it's just like (laughs) like a thing amongst millennial new yorkers um but going back to like Jonathan and candace like um, Candace is someone like I was almost that. Like when I got out of college, I fell into a a job. I worked at like a major Hollywood studio, but I was doing like home entertainment. I was in charge of getting DVDs on the shelves of your Best Buys and your Myers mm-hmm. and your um, your Sam's Clubs, and I was in charge of like coordinating manufacturing to transportation to managing inventory. Right, and then every day, did you think? life is meaningless <laughs> well, but it was good money yeah of course. and you kind of like say okay like i'm not that bad at this i could see myself taking this as far as i can go but i was also feeling very like because it's a very like i don't know if it's a millennial thing because i don't know if our parents felt this i'm sure i'm, I'm sure our parents have felt it and i'm sure kids nowadays feel it yeah. it's like this burnout culture of like you always have to constantly be working yeah. and if you're not working you're deemed like 
worthless. Yeah, but then you're learning like the nitty gritty of like what actually what because this is something that like consumer culture tries to actively cover up is the amount of labor and work that goes into everything you consume, whether it's food or your DVDs or your Bibles, right? Like even the books that we read um, come from you have to source the paper, you have to source the the person binding it, you have to like um, create the, you know, there's a lot of labor that goes into stuff you buy, but you want to buy it for cheap. So it creates this race to the bottom economy that the world is seeing right now that's being exasperated by, you know, whatever trade war we're in right now. And it's really interesting that that was a big part of this, this story is kind of her learning, like, all the steps of making, like, Bibles. Yeah, well, uh, making The best-selling book of the world. Yeah, because right. it's not just, like, with books. Like, she can tell with, like, yeah. bags and stuff. Like, she's like, okay, like, this was made in, like, China, Bangladesh. Yeah. Like, this is the amount of people who had to work overtime <laughs> for such little pay to get this little thing for some rich person to buy here. So, like, there is definitely a lot of cynicism. <laughs> yeah. And the fact that, like, she ends up, like, falling into this this job and sticks with it because it like doing the same thing over and over again, going to work every day is preferable to her than not knowing what's going to happen. Right. Especially, especially um, since she's an orphan too. Yeah. Like she doesn't have her parents like uh, to uh, rely on. And even if she has their money, it's like, like she knows that that is like, um, like a limited time and yeah. like her father would probably not want her to squander it on just doing nothing. Yeah. And I mean, we can talk about the, the children immigrants part of this. Oh yeah. That was, that was like definitely like one of my favorite parts of this book. Yeah. Um, but I, I did want to jump back to Candace, like feeling comfort in doing these repetitive tasks. Yeah. Um, she actually tries to quit her job at the one year mark and her boss is like, listen, you're really good at this. And, you know, like, some people aren't lucky enough to work their dream jobs. And why not, like, 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 you're good at this. Like, you're lucky to have, like, a good paying job. And that kind of, like, deters her from, I don't know, she's like, this isn't my forever job, but I also don't know what I want to do with my life. So I guess this is the better option, the safer option. And historically speaking, this was a time, like, this would have been 2008. Like, the financial crisis was hitting. That is the worst. Um, And so it makes sense. Like, back then, like, there was a lot of uncertainty. Like, this book um, is an alternate history, right? Because... um, it yeah. takes place in twenty. The, the breakdown takes place in 2011. And I thought it was really funny that in this world, Occupy Wall Street just, like, dies uh, yeah. in, like, a week, <laughs> you know, because the world has bigger problems to worry about than, like... I was surprised that Occupy Wall Street, like, made it into the book. I mean, it was such a crystallizing event for a lot of millennials, I feel like. I know, I know. You know? <laughs> but I was just, like, surprised. I was like, oh, right. Like, this is alternate history. Yeah. Like, like stuff that actually happened in our universe yeah. actually happened here. So I was surprised. Um, One thing that I really, like, I thought about was how... So, so we've talked before about um, the experience of being a young millennial in New York, right? And it reminded me of something my cousin told me once, because um, she lived in New York for a while. People don't live in New York 
they put up with New York to be there. Yeah. Right. And at some point, and this has happened to a lot of my friends who do live in New York, at some point you have to leave because New York does not, it's not sustainable. It does not want you there. It wants the next person to come in. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you move to Jersey, you moved upstate to like start families and like settle down. You're still a New Yorker, quote unquote, but you're not in New York anymore. Yeah, well, New York now is just so gentrified that no one can afford (laughs) to live there. And it's just become like, like I visited not that long ago and you visited not Mm -hmm. that long ago too. And it was just, it was just a big shock to me because I, the last time I went and like the time before, it was like a three-year gap. And I was just, I was just like, why are all these Asian brands like in, (laughs) in like 34th (laughs) Street? Like they did not exist before. Um, and it was just so many, uh, like so much globalization happened, and I was like, "This is New York City." I th- I thought like you also, know, Whole Foods I, are everywhere now. I know that was <laughs> that was just like really weird to me, and like at at a certain point, it's it's gotten to be like this playground for just like the super privileged and rich, and it's always kind of been like that, but like now it feels like like it is so palpable there. Like, I remember when Brooklyn was still a place for, like, a lot of creative artists. But now now it feels like it's Manhattan. <laughs> like, it, it is gentrified so quickly. You gotta go further south. That is true. <laughs> I mean, most of my friends now live in, like, Jersey City or, yeah. like, outside of Queens. Because now, like, Queens is slowly yeah. being uh, developed as well. And I, I thought it was really interesting that, like, the flashback story is kind of that arc where basically all of Candace's friends and coworkers are leaving New York because it becomes unsustainable for them. And in this case, it's not because of rising rents, it's because of you know the outbreak of the zombie apocalypse. But she kind of puts her head down and says, if I keep working, this will pay off. And it's like, it's such a relatable thought that like, if I just put my head down and work, I'll be able to do whatever I want later. But I have to do this now. It's like kind of... This like you focus on, like you focus on the results, the payout, yeah. instead of like the process, and like you know, like it, it's kind of ridiculous because you're in a post-apocalyptic setting, right? But capitalism still reigns, and it's such because like everyone around her saying you've you've lost your mind, like why are you still here? Why are you still doing this? There's no you're not doing this for anyone anymore. You're you're just doing work for work's sake. And it reminds me of people who, like, put, stay in, like, these, like, more – maybe not even toxic situations, but, like, not optimal situations with the belief that things will get better if they just finish it. Or just, like, you know, during that whole period where, you know, after, like, she and Jonathan break up and she decides to leave New York, she is essentially – her actions in a vacuum is pretty much the same as, like, a fevered. Right, and we didn't. We haven't talked about what the fevered what are. What the fevered in this are, book. but um, yeah, like I, like I think that's the part where the horror really like seeped <laughs> into the book. It's like, oh, this is our life. Like, like we we don't need to like have a zombie apocalypse for us to be in the same, yeah, uh, like live or die situation as like Candace. Like at a certain point, she literally moves into her office. Like she lives at work. Okay, so you know? here's here's the thing. Like a lot of offices are doing that now, where like they provide like 
They're like, oh, we have like a break room and we have places where you can take naps. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like get rid of all of that and pay your employees the money that you're going to spend on buying all of those things. It's like barracks for factory workers, right? And like that's yeah. that's how things are in Asia in, and Southeast in Asia. Asia when those factories like – People even even work. not even like factories, just like regular office buildings. Like, um, so like I have a cousin who immigrated here uh, two years ago, and she's gonna move back soon. But her husband went back to went back to Korea um, to to restart his job, and it was just like really like I I was just like really baffled as to why they would stay here for such a short time. And I had asked them like I was like what. <laughs> Why are you here in America? Like, <laughs> like if it's for such a short time, because he was doing some kind of class. And he said, well, in Korea, I would be lucky to see my sons for at least like two hours in a day. Because that was, that was his job. His job was just like working in an office. And the office had beds. And people were often required to like stay all night. Yeah, And that is just like... Like, that's not even just factory culture. That is just, like, workplace culture. And also, it's kind of seeped into youth culture. Like, kids are so pressured these days to yeah. do well. And they're, like, stuck in, in like, study cubicles. And, it, and it's, like, really, really sad. And it's like they've been indoctrinated to, like, expect it. Yeah, and it's like... This is just how you have to listen to your elders. And I guess that's another theme in this book, too, is just, like... There's no reason Candace is doing anything that she does except that she doesn't want or she she either refuses or just doesn't want to think for herself, right? Yeah, I mean, it's easier to do like repetitive things without like yeah. worrying about the future or like, you know, having a boss tell you what to do with your life and what's what's best for you in the in the end. Um yeah. but yeah, like the whole mindset of like if I do this now, I can I can be happy later. It is a very toxic uh, way of thinking in, in in working or even studying environment. Yeah. And I feel and, like it's just kind of surpassed all generations <laughs> at this point. And it's become such a mindset that like anyone telling you something other than that, you don't listen. You, like she actively gets mad at any, anyone who tells her that she's doing it wrong. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, there, you- there was this uh, – I, I just want to like – say this quote because this this is when the hurricane is happening mm-hmm. and uh jonathan is kind of bewildered at why people are partying and uh and she explains to him fair, fair <laughs> yeah, point. and she's explaining to him like oh this is this is why they're partying day off meant we could do things we'd always meant to do we just wanted to feel flush with time to do things of no quantifiable value our hopeful side pursuit our hopeful side pursuits, like writing or drawing or something, something other than what we did for money, like learn to be a better photographer. And even if we didn't get around to it on that day, our free day, maybe it was enough just to feel the possibility that we could, that we could if we wanted to, which is another way of saying that we wanted to feel young, though many of us were that, if nothing else. Yeah, I remember that. Line exp- I felt like it slapped me across the face <laughs> when, I, when I when I read that. I've kind of had a lot of moments like that re- reading I mean, this book. That was around the same. Like I think it was either right before, or right after that. Um, she was kind of explaining that everyone kind of hoped that the hurricane was bad enough that they can take the, the next day off, but not bad enough that it disrupted their lives, like like disaster style, right? And that kind of 
that hoping for something to disrupt is so so relatable. Yeah, I feel like that. Like that was not even just with hurricanes. It was like with rain. It's like, oh, I hope it rains enough today yeah. that like the roads are bad enough that I'll be able to work from home or I mean, something like that. Do you remember like it's it's like you know hoping for a snow day, right? Oh, I have people in the East Coast still who like pray for snow days, and they're they're like in their thirties because <laughs> that means that they can work from home. Yeah, I remember when I was in college, we had a couple. We had almost a week off school because um, of a huge wildfire in San Diego. It was um, basically my whole entire school was on alert in case the fire jumped on one of the major freeways. Because if it jumped that freeway, that means we had to evacuate. Um, and I remember I had a paper due on Thursday. Oh my god! <laughs> and we got Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday off, and we were waiting for to see if we would could take Thursday off because um, it was just like it was raining ash. Like you couldn't go out. The air quality was so bad. So we kind of just stayed in and like ran to the cafeteria to like eat, you know. And then I got it was like six p.m. and they sent out the email. School resumes Thursday. I'm like, damn it! So I had to write my paper in the night. Oh my gosh, Marvin! It's fine. I got an A. I mean, that's like college <laughs> energy right there. Um, speaking of, uh, there's so many directions we can go, but I did find it really interesting um, that uh, the. the the survival group that Candace joins, it felt like everyone there, or at least most of her friends there, were had creative degrees. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. You have um, that one girl who is pretty much like the media person yeah. in like the newsroom where they like make memes and viral <laughs> clips. And I'm like, oh, my God, I can totally relate as someone who like interned <laughs> at like these companies that make the young people do the viral and meme stuff it is <laughs> it's like it, it's agony and then yeah. you have like the other guy who uh went to art school and then he went into industrial design designing <laughs> like like uh like tampon b- boxes and, yeah. and he's just like i didn't even make the decisions to create those things i just created the things that they told me to create yeah. and they were tampon boxes and it's like this is a really sad ragtag group. <laughs> it's like they find out that, you know, they, they worked so hard thinking that it will pay out and then nothing matters. I mean, isn't that the millennial, like, struggle in, like, a nutshell? Yeah. <laughs> right? we're, all, we're all fed this dream of, like, we're going to be – and, like, we're fed this by the media, too. Like, we see the, sto- the stories that they, like, they lionize, like, the Mark Zuckerbergs and, like, the, the, the Wonderkins. And we all want to be that. But in truth, we're – we're deciding how to source stuff for a Bible, how to make tampon dispensers. Like you, you dream of becoming those, those big shots. And then you end up like, even if you work for like a Facebook now, or you work for like a media company, you're not doing the, the stuff that like you're dreaming of. You're doing like, let's, let's analyze what keywords work good. Or let's, you know, let's, let's figure out, let's AB test this creative with this creative. And it's like the very like industrial nature of, Everything we do, even the glamorous stuff like fashion, like what is fashion? What is a bag? It's a bunch of stuff that like you have to build. The value is in the perception of the brand, right? Yeah. But the materials, they're all sourced from like, you know, Bangladesh, China, Taiwan, like. I found it really funny when like New York Fashion Week happened in the book <laughs> where it's like, 
you know, the Shen fever has is in full swing now. Yeah. And all of the all of the fashion items that are on, on the it's runway like are apocalypse like apocalypse chic. Yeah, apocalypse <laughs> chic. Um, and like scrubs, and I'm like, this is this is hilarious. And there were just like moments like that in this in this book that just like it was it was really depressing because <laughs> I'm like, oh man, this is my life right now. But also like really really funny because yeah. it would just like. It would just kind of hit you um, when you were not expecting it. Well, we've gone for a while without talking about the Shen, Shen fever. fever. Yeah, we talked about particular. manufacturing. <laughs> so let's go uh, to where the Bibles are being manufactured and where this disease got manufactured. Yeah. I mean, let's start with the disease itself. Okay. Which is, it's a fungal infection that like what it does to people is it kind of just takes away their free will pretty much. And basically the like what's left is a body with like its learned habits that it just loops constantly, right? Whether it's like preparing dinners or like laughing at like shitty sitcoms. Um, and I thought what was really interesting was these zombies, like they never used the word zombies. They used the word fever, fevered. right? These fevered are not aggressive, right? They're no danger to anybody. Um, but the survivor group still kills all of them yeah well they kill them because they think it's uh more merciful than letting them live in this loop forever yeah and, and not they but bob but kills bob them. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> yeah well i see th- i feel like bob indoctrinated like two of the people in their group yeah. like alan and well those are his bros right those yeah are his, his, like, his, his bros, bro followers his tech bros <laughs> um but i thought it was interesting that uh, the fever came from um, like the the Shenzhou region. Shenzhen, yeah, yeah, Shenzhen, yeah, um, yeah, and because that's like a really big like manufacturing where, uh, city, yeah. right? That's where a lot of man, a lot of factories are there. Um, there's a lot more manufacturing hubs popping up in China, but that was like the original. And it's it's so case. So in the book, they mentioned that they theorized that. The, the fungus grew out of terrible working conditions in the factories, right? Unventilated rooms, um, mold that they probably didn't take care of that like mutated and grew and became this, this epidemic. And like you said, it all wraps back to consumerism, right? And we see this through Candace's interactions with her clients when she's trying to explain like the factory's closed, we, like, it's going to cost more. And then the the client's like, no, we don't want to pay more. Yeah. Right. Capitalist markets, like first world countries, consumer-based countries, taking advantage of low-wage work to create their goods and like forcing these um, emerging economies to lower their costs and to like in order to, you know, get business – causes this epidemic and then comes back and infects the world. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, I, I like how uh Ling Ma like emphasized that, you know, China is making these goods now, but like there will be another country that replaces China with cheaper labor and cheaper uh ways of like getting goods to the West and it's it's an endless cycle. <laughs> <laughs> but like yeah. Shen Shen fever that I have watched a lot of zombie movies before. I've read my fair share of uh, post-apocalyptic books, but this 
was kind of like a different type of infection I've never really come across in in this genre. Yeah, and I thought it was done really, really well. It like you feel, I, I don't know. It's it's like it, it's unnerving. Like, yeah, like I picture like being in like an emptied out metropolis. A, a place where it's teeming with people all the time, knowing where they want to go, always hustling. It's like dead quiet and there's vegetation everywhere. And then you see someone at a juicy couture, like folding clothes, like yeah. repeatedly. And then you look to the side and like half of their jaw is missing. And it's like that, like that is cinematic and that is like frightening. And there's yeah. like a sense of eeriness to the disease that I haven't really seen in other like post-apocalyptic infection disease. Genre. Right. And we're, we're talking about like how um, like we were talking about how the story itself is like a parallel to how New York's becoming gentrified and people are getting priced out. And the fact that the, the New York um, the, the New York ideals of like hustling, you know, of working all the time, of working overtime, of like being like honestly suffering just to be in the city right like suffering kind of. to be in the city and also putting value in it, like your identity in your work yeah. it's like if you don't work then you're nothing yeah. if like if you don't work in a job that doesn't give you all of these things then yeah. you're considered like at the bottom of the totem pole and great zombie fiction is always a reflection of you know society, society. right and it's like if you think about how different are the fevered from what what Candace and her, like, what New Yorkers were before the infection. The, the main difference is there's no free will, but was there, like, was there free will to begin with? Like, was there, like, the society has all, like, society, like, this, the capitalist society, the capitalist society, you know, like, capitalism has already kind of defined what you're going to do and be. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and we've seen... Um like works that are inspired by the fears of New Yorkers in mm. in like literature and and in, in television like you you have like the AIDS crisis crisis and like yeah. it it well throughout the country but like in New York specifically we've seen works that take inspiration from that and the fear of like getting infected and fear of prejudice and and violence like we've seen that in so many other works yeah so it was really interesting to see something that was like so such like a modern take on our struggles. Yeah. And it seemed like like nostalgia was a big factor in in the like a big factor in the the disease is memories. Memories. Living in the past. Yeah. Yeah. Um and we see a character, we see Ashley, who was one of um Candace's friends in the survivor group, return to her to, to her childhood home and kind of just instantly become fevered. Right, yeah. like kind of just being in this familiar surrounding, she, she kind of she, she developed the symptoms because the the disease is seems to be triggered by nostalgia. I don't know if it's triggered by nostalgia. That's a theory that Candace came up with, mm. but uh, it could be it could have been that Ashley had this like had the symptoms, but it became like more aggravated once she got into her childhood home. So mm. it's, I don't think it's like triggered. It's just it just like escalates it i don't know like i don't know if that makes sense like i mm, 
But it is it it was like an interesting way to tie into the themes of the book on like how memories beget memories and um and 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 it kind of like put like a contrast to Candace's background because Candace doesn't have a home that she can go back to. Yeah. Yeah. Um Yeah. And um I guess I can see that. That's another possibility because um you do see Bob also start to develop symptoms when he returns to his the mall that he grew up in. Grew up in. Yeah. Uh, I have a quote, uh, and this is what Candace says about, uh, like, the fevered versus the survivors. Memories beget memories. Shen fever being a disease of remembering, the fevered are trapped indefinitely in their memories. But what is the difference between the fevered and us? Because I remember, too. I remember perfectly. My memories replay unprompted on repeat. And our days, like theirs, continue in an infinite loop. Yeah. <laughs> um we we didn't really talk about Candace's relationship with uh the manufacturers in uh in China. Um like I thought it was really interesting that she's a Chinese American going back to China to oversee like uh Chinese laborers make this bible uh-huh. for her her job and there's just like this disconnect and i i just thought that was like really well done i mean that part reminded me a lot of um <laughs> just like the i mean this is a thing that happens like a lot of my friends and a lot of like people that i know um actually do this like they're the liaison between like a major company here and their factories over there they're they're um contractors and it was really funny seeing the description of like a chinese factory visit trip because i've been to those hotels i've eaten at those buffets oh really (laughs) done those things and it's like it's it is a thing like there's a whole hospitality industry in Shenzhen, in these major manufacturing hubs that cater to foreign business people coming in like you go to like say like the hyatt or the Radisson, or, or like, what's the big one? The um, the Fairview. The Fairviews are huge in China, and they have like these big breakfast buffets, and it's split down the middle. This side is all the Western stuff. So you get your omelet bars, you get your cereals, you get your eggs and bacon, and the other side you have the Asian stuff, the Chinese stuff. You have your balls, you have your like crullers, you have your congee, and it's always like I always thought it was really funny seeing who gets what. Because you have a couple like adventurers, you know, white dudes who adventure out to the Asian side, but most of them are just eating their like eggs yeah. and bacon, right? Um, and just the factory visit and then the pomp and circumstance, and um, like how I thought it was super interesting how Candace didn't have the because this was her first trip, the one that she describes in the book, and she at that time she didn't have the understanding of like the the dance that you do with. Customers, especially um, between Chinese and foreign mm-hmm. um, business partners, but the fact that once they f- find out that she is of Chinese descent, right? She's Hua Chao, as we say. They start like kind of trying to bring her in into like the inside, like kind yeah. of. Pull- there, there's some mad shade thrown at her, like yeah. Well, I mean, they start pulling. They start like kind of. 
playing by different rules then, because because you're now because now they know that you're Hua Chao, because they know that you're of Chinese descent, they start to pull the face and they start to pull like a lot of the more um, like guanxi type of relationships that Chinese have with each other. Um, but then they also like yeah they throw shade because they mention oh did you do you um, celebrate Chinese New Year and she says yeah I eat mooncakes which is the wrong holiday that she's explained because you eat mooncakes during mid autumn not during Chinese New Year well when I when I said shade it was more of like hey like what are you doing working for a company that exploits Chinese workers like (laughs) (laughs) it's like you know how terrible this industry is and like are still choosing to do this job it was just kind of like there was just like a little bit of resentment there which is like fair but i i just thought that i was like um i don't know it's like a type of guilt tripping that only asian americans going back to asia for like in a position like that will ever feel yeah did they do that yeah they did that yeah like there was like a um, it wasn't uh, Balthazar, which I thought was mm. like a really funny name to to pick, but it was like one of the workers in the factory, and um, Balthazar tells him that uh, Candace is from China, um, and they're from the same region. Oh, and um, he's just like, well, you know, this is my life. Like my family still lives on the farms, and I'm here all the time. And- right. I think that's. Mm- yeah, I mean, it's interesting during that part also, like, the – because even within – and it's it's a good example of, like, Asians not being monolith and Chinese not being monolith. Because even within China, there are different regions on different levels of that social hierarchy. And the region that Candace's family is from, Fujian province, they – there's a reason why a lot of – the early like 1800s immigration to different countries are all Fujianese. It's because they are a port province or the coastal province, and th- a lot of them worked as sailors. And so, um, it, it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So it makes sense. And um, I thought it was um, it's interesting also, like people like the people who leave and people who stay. There is resentment. Like people, that passage where she returns home for the first time in like in years. And realizes that basically her family are on bad terms with them. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's something that happens a lot because people feel like, oh, like you're in America. You, your life must be so great now. Yeah. And then the people who moved out here, like her like her mom, mm-hmm. it's just like, oh, man, if I stayed, I would have gotten like promoted. I would have like – Yeah. I would have been uh, taking advantage of like the economic boom over there. And, like, we wouldn't be looked as, like, foreigners in, in the country that we live in. And, yeah, yeah there, there is, like, a lot of um, a, a lot of resentment. And it it was done in such, like, a relatable, nuanced way. Because I feel like in a lot of, in a lot of like, Asian American uh, films and literature, especially, like, in the early days, it's just a lot of, um, it's just, like, a lot of resentment towards, like, your parents being like, you don't understand me and yeah. like the generation gap. But like, uh, but in Severance and, a, and in a lot of other works that we've read for this book club, it's like very, very nuanced, very, very subtle. Yeah. And, I, you know, like the title itself, Severance, has a lot of different connotations in the story, right? Yeah. I mean, Severance in itself is a corporate term for, you know, when you get fired, right? Here's your Severance package. But 
a big chunk of this book is also the effect of being severed from your home for immigrants, right? And we, we've, we, yeah, we've seen this in a lot of books that we've read, which is like the moment you leave somewhere, when the moment you immigrate somewhere, like you've been disconnected from where you're from, and now you're like something else. Right? Yeah. Now you're something new. You're not fully Chinese anymore, but you're also not like you don't automatically become American by being in yeah. America. It's almost like you've cut a part of yourself, like you've amputated your Chineseness, for example, and but like you still feel. Like kind of like that phantom limb. <laughs> it's just like, oh, I am Chinese, but I'm like not, like, like I'm not like what I was before. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I think the title was really well done, actually. Um, anyway, let's talk more about Candace's parents' uh, origins and coming <laughs> to the country and uh, her relationship with her parents too because like I thought it was really intriguing that like her dad and her mom had completely different uh, like reactions to living in America like her mom constantly wants to go go back to China where like her dad is like no we are going to consume all of the American things and we're going to stay here because um because it's not safe back back in China. There are more opportunities here. And uh, like I just thought that that was like, I don't know. It, it, it's something that I've seen a lot with immigrant families. It's definitely something that I've seen with my family. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's why like a lot of the chapters with like Candace and her parents like hit me the most. Like it hit it where it, it hurt. <laughs> it hurt a lot. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I, I think... Because her dad came to the States for school. And it's interesting that he went to the University of Utah because that's where my uncle went when he came for grad school. Oh, really? Um, Like, it was true. Like, the Tiananmen Square incident was a plot point, right? They're actively watching it on on TV as it was happening. Yeah, and, and like, their reactions are different. Yeah. Like, uh, the mom is like, well, this is American news. Like, you don't know. Like, it could be propaganda. And he's just like, no, this is not propaganda, and we are never going back. He was friends with those, like, some of those, like, yeah. students, right? Yeah, he was. Yeah. And I thought it was, like, um, I thought that was really inter- interesting to bring up because that is still a pretty controversial issue within um, for foreign relations with, between you know, the world in China, too. Yeah. You know? I mean, China has, uh, at least the mainland, has censored it from their textbooks. A lot of the younger yeah. generations don't really know uh, that much detail about it, which is why... <laughs> I mean... <coughs> it's an ongoing issue. Yeah. And, and, you know, like, it ties in with Hong Kong right now. And... Uh, yeah, and the parents definitely weren't your your typical Asian parent, like, kind of antagonistic figures that you find in, in immigrant stories sometimes. Um, I just thought it was really, like, you can tell that she put a lot of, like, that Ling Ma put a lot of care into just, like, writing details that, like, made sense in the book, but to those of us who grew up in, like, specifically a Chinese household, like, you saw, like, the parallels, like, the fact that, like, a punishment was just to have them kneel in a dark place for hours true you know yeah i think like for me uh like i i think like the more powerful relationship uh in this book was like between candace's mom and and her um there it's like a very very complicated relationship where um when they were living together in china like 
she like they were completely different people and yeah. and once uh Candace was um separated from her mom and she's being raised with her with her grandparents like it's a style of parenting that is probably not the best which which is like for spoiling your kid but also like ignoring them at the same time yeah um and then like when she comes back to when she comes to America and sees like her mom again uh, after the separation um they're again different totally different people they've gone through some things and there's yeah. really not a way for them to go back to the way they were before which is like a mom who is very like you know uh allows her kid to make decisions make mistakes but also like provide comfort um and like candace as a child who was like very uh trusting and obedient it's like that relationship doesn't exist anymore and i think that is something uh, and, and like also like candace's candace mentions um that like when her mom was at her uh, like in her last days like suffering from alzheimer's or mm -hmm. dementia i'm not really sure remember early onset alzheimer's yeah, think, yeah yeah and like her mom just kind of like reminiscing on these stories a lot of them are stories that uh her mom didn't actually go through it's like stories that her like like her memories are bleeding into her dad's memories and stuff like that but um her mom's like recounting all these stories and candace is just like i really just want to go through all of the transgressions that that mm. have happened between us but you know last days are meant for relief and not not for like blaming yeah and like i i thought that was really powerful because um especially for like immigrant parents like you're trying to raise your kid in like an environment that is completely foreign to you and um for a lot of kids who like I, I guess they're called satellite kids who uh aren't raised abroad and then they come to the states after their kids uh, after their parents have enough money to to raise them i think that's the term i'm i'm not sure i'm not 100 percent sure I, I, I know I, I know the opposite is parachute kids oh yeah yeah, yeah. but like um, I, I think that was a term that we read in The Leavers by Lisa Ko. But, okay. um, yeah, I, I just feel like that is something that happens a lot <laughs> in those situations where, like, you uh, kind of don't know what to do with your child slash parent. And, yeah. like, um, and you're still trying to figure out your own identities in this strange country. Um, and then there is, like, a lot of resentment and a lot of pressure for the kid to succeed and to make use of themselves in, in this country. And It's also a very, like, I think, I don't know if it's unique to immigrant kids, but the idea that, like, we don't truly understand our parents until we become adults ourselves and, like, kind of see how hard it is to be an adult, an adult in this world. And you start to realize how hard it must have been for them not knowing as much as you do, like not growing up in this environment, like kind of, you know, those of us who are immigrants from like non-European countries, like we grew up always being other. Um, they had to go from being a majority to a minority. And that must have been hard too. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, I know with like, um, with my parents, it's, it's kind of similar because, like, um, you know, my my dad was white collar, and that's why we we immigrated here for his job. Mm -hmm. And like my mom, um, 
if I think about it now, it's like crazy because she was she was only 30 when she came to this country and she already had two kids. Yeah. And, <laughs> and she already had a, she had a life. Yeah. 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 yeah she know? had a life. And, and the thing is, like, uh, after she became uh, after she became a mom, like her career was obviously like put on hold because you're taking care of a three year old and like a baby. And uh, I like in like I, I'm revealing a lot of like family drama right now, <laughs> but I but I, I guess I just like want to say that it really it really did hit me because like I do have that relationship with my mom where like she is a little bit resentful because like if she had stayed in Korea, like mm-hmm. she could have had um, like she she may have had a a, a prosperous career. Um, my mom, my mom, my mom majored in, um, classical singing, but, um, uh, when she had me, like her voice got damaged. So, um, she could have made like an easier career transition into music, but we came to America. So that was put on hold. And, um, and then there was a lot of pressure put on me because I am her oldest child. And, uh, my dad is never in the house because he is like, on business trips or or working all the time to make sure that his family is being provided. Yeah. So it's like there's a lot of pressure put on me, and I went through a lot of like my mom's neuro neurosis <laughs> like neurosis activities where it's like, um, you you are constantly afraid of like making mistakes or like you um you're getting yelled at even when you are doing things right because your parent is so scared that you're not going to be able to survive in like this new environment in this new country and it's like my mom and i have had that talk where i was just like you have done some shit to me <laughs> you have d- done some irreversible shit to me but i understand like like you were very young when you came to this country and you were not prepared to be a parent on top of that so it's like uh for me like those passages with like candace and her mom and even like when her mom comes back as like a ghost helping her escape from the facility yeah like i think i think those parts like really really resonated with me and um like it's really hard for me to be objective about the writing part of that because (laughs) it did hit me really hard yeah so i i don't know about you marvin if you actually like like thought those scenes were really well written with with her mom and her i thought it was i mean I, i don't have as much of a personal like um like relationship I, I mean, it's I don't have like that, like my my relationship with my mom is a little more chill. More chill, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, the part that really got like the parts that I related to the most personally, besides the whole you know millennial angst theme of the book, was like there's that passage where it's back when she was visiting Sinjin for, for the first time, and Balthazar I think switches to Mandarin on her. Yeah, and then she like because I'm the same way where. Like I didn't, I I grew up speaking Mandarin for, with my parents. I took a couple years of Saturday school and in, in like Saturday Chinese school, which you know did ultimately nothing for learning the language. Amazing how that works, right? <laughs> when you're forced to learn something, you do your best to not retain it. Yeah. So like reading, like I have very rudimentary reading skills. I have non-existent writing skills, but conversationally, I can carry conversation pretty well. But if it goes on for more than ten minutes people start noticing that my vocabulary is very basic because I have pretty much like a third degree vocabulary. Like I can talk, but I can't, I, I can't use idioms and I can't use like colloquialisms. Right. So like, it's very, 
it's like you're talking to like a fifth grader maybe level like where it's like they can hear care conversation but you know if i want to and i think it's that um concept of like when i speak chinese mandarin like up to a certain point i can think and speak in, in chinese but if if the conversation needs to get more nuanced i think in english and i translate in my head and yeah, I, I thought up, I like, thought the translation yeah. part was like really, really good <laughs> in the book. It like expressed it so well, where yeah. she's just like searching for the word. She's like, "Oh man, what's the word for immigrate? <laughs> immigrate in Mandarin? Yeah. Like, I don't know." So she just says, she just like improvises and says, "Oh, I moved yeah. to America," and it's like, and like I totally relate to that too because my <laughs> Korean is like not great, but like, like that moment of just like, "Oh, I don't have that right words. So I'm just gonna like." use something <laughs> that that like i have that is somewhat close to what i want to say yeah and her just like lying about her dad being like a brain surgeon yeah was, i was just like oh my god it's like situational comedy <laughs> it's 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 gold um i guess uh, let's like let, let's let's wrap up our conversation by talking about i guess the the stakes of the story which is yeah bob Bob and, and the facility the group, yeah. and the escape. We find out that Candace is pregnant. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but I knew that that she was probably pregnant. I mean, they they kind of telegraphed that. Yeah. You know, and then it's a post-apocalyptic <laughs> book with a female protagonist. The twist is probably the fact that she is pregnant. <laughs> yeah. Uh that, that was just like my gut feeling <laughs> and I felt so like validated <laughs> when I got to that twist. I was like, "Yes, I was right." Yes. Um, but yeah. the entire time when she was with the surviving, with these, the group of survivors, I, like, I, I don't know. There was, like, so much tension. There was a lot of tension, especially, like, the, the moment you realize that Bob is using, like, religion to, like, kind Why of Why is it control? always the crazy white dude who is, like, <laughs> into Christianity, like, at the end of the world? Like, it's always, they're always the villain. Well, it's also interesting that like religion is used multiple ways because it's it's also used as a way like kind of like as intended of a way to build community and like create a safe space for people because like Candace's mom finds religion not because she's religious but because she finds a place where she can feel a part of something it's where all the other Asians are so you go like this is just like a common thing amongst like (laughs) all Asian immigrant families they're like, there is a church for everyone. And it's fascinating that we kind of see this. As, like, I mean, the way I read it is, like, religion being used um, by the colonized and the colonizer. Yeah. Right? And then Bob is, like, using religion to assert control. Um, sure, you build, like, a community. You build, like, kind of – you give people stakes to kind of care about each other. But ultimately, it's a means for him to com- uh, accomplish his agenda. Yeah, it, right. like his plan was like very, very flimsy when he was like, oh, the facility. I thought it was going to be like a bunker or something, <laughs> but it was just a mall. And I'm like, you, you, you can't w- have a zombie narrative without you, a mall. <laughs> you killed people. You like traveled miles and miles across states for a mall. Like there are malls in other states. I didn't really see. Right. Like I did not understand. Like, And, and you pick Chicago, like the place where like. There's, like, brutally cold winters. That was when I was just like, oh, this guy. Like, he's one of those guys who, like, talk big, but have, yeah. like, nothing to to. I mean, that's kind of the character, the right? Plan. Like, Bob reminded me of those people who, like, 
argue a lot online and tries to like tell people how how to live their lives, right? Like he's he's like he's like every person who has shared one of those articles, like why millennials suck. Yeah, like, that's Bob. You know, he's he's definitely the type of guy where he would uh, comment saying like, "Well, actually." <laughs> <laughs> Like, I, like, lost my shit. I'm cursing so much in this episode. <laughs> I lost my shit when he locked up Candace yeah. in, like, in like the skincare shop. And tries to justify, like, oh, it's for your own good. And I'm just like, right? why is, like, like, I hate the fact that he is using her pregnancy, like, as his own agenda. As if, like, it's his baby. And it's like, it's not. It's her body. It's her baby. You should not be able to make these decisions. You have no jurisdiction yeah and i hate the fact that like he's taking advantage of like her health to like like be like oh you're not going to escape because you're you're pregnant like what are you what are you going to do like i hate that like level of of like scheming and it's something that like that's happening right now with like uh in america with like reproductive rights (laughs) and also also with just like uh i don't know like uh yeah. Well, I was glad that he was fevered. I, I kind of I get I kind of guessed that he would get fevered because uh, because of Ashley when she got fevered in her home. Well, yeah, because um, there was that scene where Candace was, you know, she's trying to gain his trust. Right. That's when he moves her to a Sephora uh, upgrade from like the um, what was the other place she was at the first place. The. It was like a another cosmetic store. She goes from a smaller cosmetic. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, she she went from like it wasn't it wasn't Clinique, but it was <laughs> it was like a it was it was like a small skin skincare shop. Yeah, and and then got upgraded to, to a Sephora, Sephora with which, like, like IKEA furniture being like sent over. It is 2011, so there isn't like face shops in like the the Korean places. I yet. feel like the, the the whole time when her mom like when when she mentions like the skincare routine, like oh. her mom being like, "Oh, the three step Clinique routine," and I'm like, <laughs> three steps." Okay, we are now at like. 13 steps in the Korean skincare routine. <laughs> and then by like 2011, it's it's like the 10 steps. So it's just like, lady, you're behind. I mean, they were in... in um, they were in Utah. I can, Utah. I can... I can. Well, I mean, yeah. Just <laughs> um, something that my mom always says too. She's like, always put sunscreen on. Always like, you always <laughs> have to do skincare because you're not going to stay young forever once you turn... <laughs> once once menopause, it's over for you. <laughs> yeah. Um, Bob sucks, I guess, is the point of this whole segment. He, like... I don't know, like him using religion, him like not having a plan, him using uh, Candace's pregnancies for his own agenda. It it was just like. Yeah. And him just not taking responsibility for anything. Like he literally drove Evan to suicide, like allegedly. Right. Allegedly. Um, And he, you know, you, you can tell from the text that like he doesn't have any idea what he's doing. He just knows he needs to be in control. He yeah. wants to do what he does. Because, like, there's no – like, if he was truly someone who was thinking about the group, there's no way he would have led them to a mall in Chicago. No. You know? No. And, like, his grand plan is just, like, oh, look at the stuff. Look at all the stuff. Like, <laughs> just take everything and, you know, just hoard it. And yeah. And maybe we'll survive this winter. And it's, like – Yeah. I mean, if the plan was to, like, go to a colder climate because that's where the fungus isn't as, you know, rampant – 
you're in New York already. Just yeah. go north. <laughs> go to Vermont. Or go, go to, to Buffalo. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's talk about the ending. The ending. Which, where she finally escapes by, like, kind of taking advantage of Bob's fevered state and, like, kind of beating the crap out of him. Oh, man. I felt so good. <laughs> felt so good reading that. I'm like, yes. Because, like, when she, she gets angry. Like, yeah, she, when like, she yeah. figures out that he's fevered, she's like, oh, hell yes. And she, like, beats the crap out of him. And I'm like, yes. All that anger, all that, like, frustration you had to keep while you were locked up for over over a month. I cannot believe she was locked up for in a skincare shop for, like, yeah. over three weeks. But the ending where she steals the car and she's heading to... Um, to, to Chicago. To, to Chicago, Chicago, yeah. yeah. And she pretty much like drives that car until it's it's empty. Yeah, she like I thought what was really interesting is like she thinks that she's heading heading to Chicago because that's where Jonathan's from. Mm-hmm. But then she remembers that she actually went to Chicago once before with her parents. Yeah, do you think she makes it? Um, I don't think that's really the point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I read on Goodreads that a lot of people were like mixed on the ending some Mm. people are like oh it's just kind of like too open-ended and other people uh were just like no it's fine it like fits the theme of the book i think it's again going back to how this whole book is like an allegory for millennial young adulthood right and i mean if you look at the story in context it's pretty much someone who is chewed up and spit out by the city of New York and ends by starting anew somewhere else. Chicago's like, you know, that's that's kind of, that's how a lot of my friends from, like who lived in New York for a while, that's kind of how their lives ended up is they worked there until they couldn't work there anymore. And then they go, they go come home to LA, move to Seattle, move to Chicago, move somewhere else where they begin the next phase of their lives. Yeah. Right? With like uncertainty. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It, it is like, it, it is very relatable. And, you know, I I kind of like the fact that she went to another city. Yeah. Because like she, because I thought her photo project was really, really cool. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and like her posts, uh, like her captions for her posts for a New York ghost was, were really, really funny. And she might have been a really good social media person at a, a meme site. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like she she had that project before she moved to New York. And it's yeah. like it was like really nice that like that kind of tied in and she's continuing to do it now. And now she's starting a new chapter in like another city. Yeah. Um, I. You know, it. I don't think I'll ever move back to New York. I feel like I left at the right time, to be perfectly honest. The trains absolutely suck. <laughs> they catch on fire. There's a lot of issues with, like, rent and also just, like, a sustainability over there. But um, I think with a lot of people who lived in cities right after uh, graduating high school or like the first city that they moved to yeah uh, without like like the first city that they moved to lived alone like that's such like a cornerstone in growing up you know it's just yeah. like that's when you first become a person that's actually a quote in the book yeah that was, yeah. That was a line in the book and like to me like like that was New York. I mm. I graduated from high school. I moved from Georgia to uh, New York City, and to me, like 
I always wanted to go to New York City for school that because I lived in New Jersey before and I was like like I went to the city like some somewhat yeah. often and that was like like to me I was like oh this is a city for people who are ambitious and who can you know be anything and there's so much history so like for yeah. me I kind of was bought into this idea of New York City rather than like the grim reality of like there are rats <laughs> there are rats there are homeless people there are um there are a lot of uh drug issues that are happening with successful people like it's stuff that you don't really hear when you're a kid but I mean, that's what New York is selling. This is where, like, this the whole thing. If you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. Yeah, if you can make it here, right? You can make it anywhere. And yeah, but I, I, I look at my time in New York with like rose-colored glasses. <laughs> like, I actually, I really did have fun, and I think I did grow up a lot there. But like you said, I cannot. Like, I left because I just couldn't live there anymore. Yeah. And uh, now I live in another city. <laughs> <laughs> And I also want to leave this city <laughs> and start a new chapter in a different city. But uh, it's yeah. hard to it's hard to even move from city to city anymore. Yeah. 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 It's uh. Was Washington D.C. Was, was D.C. your first city? I'd say more San Diego. Or San Diego. Yeah. Um, D.C. was kind of another leg of that. Um, but I don't want to say D.C. Like, I wouldn't call myself a DC person. I, mean, I wouldn't call myself a New Yorker. <laughs> I don't even call myself an LA person, and I've lived here for a long time now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's definitely, like, the fact that we could talk about so many things about this book that has little to do with the zombie apocalypse Yeah, shows that we really like this book, and it really spoke to us as to, you know, you know, myself a children immigrants and you like an immigrant slash children of immigrants, like Oh yeah, I love that love that high yeah. <laughs> Um I mean technically I am an immigrant too because I was born in Canada, technically. Or like generation one point two five. Yeah. That's, that's what it is. Um it definitely like it was a great story, but also like it's a great Asian American story. See, that's the yeah. thing. That's the thing. Like, uh, I've seen this book listed as like best books of 2018 because it, it came out in 2018, and like, you know, a lot of these magazines, they're you know, not just Asian American magazines. Yeah. They're like, oh, this is like so. This resonates with anybody who's a millennial or anybody who's burnt out with yeah. like the work culture. But then for us, because we're Asian American, because Ling Ma put so much thought and care into crafting. Uh, Candace's character as well as like the other Asian American characters in this book like to us like it I, I feel like it's like even more poignant to, to to our demographics I don't know it's just like um, I, I said this earlier in the po podcast but I, fe I felt like this book got me like <laughs> Like I, I feel like I ticked all of its boxes for yeah. for its demographic, and it's always great when you have a book that is like tailored for you. Yeah, for sure. Um, anyway, we yeah. we have talked a lot about this book, <laughs> but we definitely want to hear your thoughts. Um, 
I totally forgot to put a Goodreads post on this book <laughs> uh, in our in our forum, but I will start one so you guys can. By the time you hear this episode, there will be a post on our Goodreads forum. Uh, we'd love to hear what you thought, um, what you related to, um, anything we missed, because I'm sure we missed um, a bunch. It wasn't the longest book, but it was definitely gave us a lot of material to talk about. So we are looking forward to anything you all can share as well. Um, but yeah, I guess I'll do it for this uh, discussion me... of Severance by Ling Ma. Um, if you haven't read this book yet and you're intrigued by our conversation, go read it. You won't be disappointed, especially um, for 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 our Asian American listeners out there. Yeah. And uh, for our September 2019 book club pick, uh, we are, we are going to be reading Everything Here is Beautiful by Mira T. Lee. Again, that is Everything Here is Beautiful by Mira T. Lee. And um, just a content warning, there is, um, I think one of the main characters has schizophrenia or developing schizophrenia. So mm -hmm. there is mental illness and uh, just go into it with caution. Okay. And uh, next month, or I guess like in a couple days, because we're at the end of August, <laughs> uh, Books and Boba is going to turn three we started this podcast oh, wow. in September 2016. Wow. Has it been three years? That means we've read, what's 12 times three? 36 books. 36 books at the very least because we have read books for book interviews. And That's also, true. also you've read books that had nothing <laughs> to do with with the month's pick because o you officially just felt like it. Officially, the book club has... 36 official picks. Yes. Um, so thank you all for supporting us. Thank you all for, especially those of you who have been reading along since the beginning, thank you for, you know, continuing um, to listen to us. And I um, hope that this podcast has thoroughly debunked the myth of there are not enough Asian American, Asian authors. <laughs> because I feel like every month that we do this podcast, I'm like, well, there you go. There's another, <laughs> there's another one. <laughs> Um, and on that note um, that'll do it for this episode of Books and Boba as well thank you all so much for listening um, if you, yeah if you haven't done so yet go read Severance so good <laughs> alright talk to you next time Rira alright bye everyone Thanks for listening to Books and Boba. This episode was hosted by Marvin Yue and Rira Yu and produced and edited by Marvin Yue. This podcast was recorded at the Potluck Podcast Studios located within the Visual Communications offices in downtown Los Angeles. You can learn more about Visual Communications and their programs such as the Los Angeles Asian Pacific Film Festival by going to their website at vcmedia.org. Thanks also to the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian-American-hosted podcasts that Books and Boba is a proud member of. You can learn more about our fellow Potluck Podcast by checking out the website podcastpotluck.com. Hey, I'm Bill Yu, and you may know me from a blog called Angry Asian Man. And I'm Jeff Yang, author, journalist, and celebrity dad. We host a podcast called They Call Us Bruce, an unfiltered conversation about what's happening in Asian America. Each week or so, we host a discussion about some of the most vital and interesting topics in our pop culture and our community, bringing in guests who are shaping and informing this thing called Asian America from Hollywood to D.C. and beyond. Uh, we got media, entertainment, food, family, 
politics, representation, the good, the bad, the WTF of it all. So check us out wherever you get your podcasts or at theycallsbruce.com. Peace. Peace.